the wrestling podcast about nothing, is brought to you by BDA Radio. BDA Radio doesn't break news, they break the news with their wild commentary regarding MMA and wrestling. Head on over to BDARadio.com and check out all of the latest news on the UFC, Bellator, WWE, and much more. They are proud to be the voice of fans because they are fans themselves. BDARadio.com I think I can sum up the show for you with one word. Nothing. Wrestling fans, there are millions and millions of podcasts out there, but there's nothing like this one. Do you ever just get down on your knees and thank God that you know me and have access to my dimension? This is the wrestling podcast about nothing. Nothing? Nothing. Welcome to the wrestling podcast about nothing episode 30 presented by BDARadio.com. There are so many pro wrestling podcasts out there covering every facet of the business. So we went to BDA Radio and said we had a different idea for a podcast. Everybody's doing something. We'll do nothing. They said, what's your wrestling podcast about? We said nothing. And thankfully, they said, we think we have something here. So here we are. My name is Mike Crockett. I'm a longtime independent wrestling referee in the Northeast, currently on extended hiatus from the ring. And joining me as always is a veteran of the New England Independent Matt Wars. The Irresistible Force, the Immovable Object, the Kingpin of Chaos, Brian Malonis. Oh, all right. We're all bringing right. it back. You're bringing it back? We're bringing it back. I'm back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are back. And we talked about it uh, later in the show. Last time, you are returning to Chaotic Wrestling. One night only, correct? Uh, Yeah. One yeah, night only. Yeah, one night only. December second. Look at look at Mike. Ready? Watch, look at my teeth. Yeah. One night. One night only. December second <laughs> in Hudson, Massachusetts. Yourself. Fury versus, final fights. Right. Yes. Fury's final fights. You and Brian Fury one more time in a chaotic wrestling ring. How you feeling? Well, I'm feeling. I'm feeling good about that. I mean, in all honesty, that's probably the only reason I uh, I said yes. <laughs> and and you know, yeah, I. Uh, Get the Russell, uh, good buddy of ours, uh, one more time, and we already thought we had our final one. And but I'm not going to complain about getting a Russell Brian Fury one more time. Um, so it was a good opportunity to uh, wrestle him one more time, and I guess go back to chaotic uh, for one night only. So we're really getting down to the wire here with uh, Brian Fury's final fights. December is it, and I think his show, last show, is probably I think it's December. 16th perhaps yes and you know i might uh, come around for that and, <laughs> yeah and take a look i was so i won't say anything too inflammatory then <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i think the important thing going forward if we're talking real for a second here the door's open when it, when it wasn't open as recently as uh two and a half three weeks back uh so that door's open again and you never know i guess but Let's not now, overshadow the overall point is you're coming back to wrestle your good friend, Brian Fury, and you're going to have a good match, and it's going to be a good night. Well, yes, he's the, that's what opened the door is the fact that I get to go wrestle Brian Fury. And, and it, I mean, and, and I, I, I really appreciate the fact that Atlantic Pro Wrestling brought Brian in to wrestle, you know, so we could have a match there. But there's something fitting about me and Brian Fury's final match happening in a chaotic wrestling ring. From chaotic wrestling, let's quickly transition from chaotic wrestling to beyond wrestling, where this past week you had a match with an indie superstar former yes. nxt talent uh formerly cassius ono now 
once again known as Chris Hero for a long time now. I don't know why I'm going back to NXT, which is like <laughs> two or three years ago at this point. But. I know. I'm very pissed. I missed an opportunity in my promo to to call him Cassius Ono. So. Ooh. <laughs> yes. The crowd um, would have uh, just... Uh, going to flutter if you i know that. i should have said it i should have said it live there but you know i didn't want to eat an elbow as much more than i already <laughs> had to so uh no it was awesome it was a great experience chris hero is several people um have said to me before wrestling him that you know um they believed he was the best in the world currently um and to step in the ring with a guy like that was unbelievable he is on another level so i think i'm a better professional wrestler coming out of that match than i went into it just you know just by osmosis i guess uh but he is amazing and uh i hopefully get to wrestle him again um uh, but it was awesome we were the first match of the day the fans were rabid um you know and and beyond put on another friggin amazing amazing event just beyond's doing doing great things uh coming up this weekend i won't be there because i'll be in sunny orlando but they're mm-hmm. uh making their worcester debut too. give them a little plug Although I think that show is like sold out already. I, think I did like, see that. Yes, last I saw there was like out. two tickets left. So beyond just doing just doing great things, man. And uh, they got eye pay per view coming up in December, and uh, just so freaking happy to be a part of Beyond and the opportunities that they're affording me. So pretty awesome, pretty special stuff. Um, the win a date with Todd Sinclair thing. What's the update, Brian? I feel like it's lost steam completely. <laughs> What's the big update? Big update. The big update. I'm missing something here, I think. No, you're not. There's no update. Oh, okay. (laughs) You're confusing me. I was like, ah, I'm scrambling. (laughs) We talked to Mucko last week to get his take on it. John Morse did tweet at Daniel Bryan this past week saying that at Sinclair Todd doesn't believe and win a date with Todd Sinclair. He may need help from at the Bella Twins at John Cena. (laughs) He's, He's trying. John Morse doing everything he can. He is the, until Daniel Bryan can fully put his full wait into this campaign i guess john morse is kind of holding down the fort and we appreciate that but yeah we haven't really heard from todd um do you mean get fired again (laughs) (laughs) no that's not what i meant but uh we haven't heard from todd it is it's sputtering and we're, we're gonna do everything we can to keep it alive so use the hashtag win a date with todd sinclair and keep hope alive for the win a date with todd sinclair uh campaign there all right Thank you for downloading the podcast, folks. New content is released twice a week on this feed, Monday for the full episodes and Thursday for the bonus episodes. You get them on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play Music, TuneIn Radio, and of course, our friends at BDARadio.com. If you're listening right now on the podcast radio network, thanks for tuning in, and we love to hear what you think. Tweet us at the WPAN. You can find us on the Podcast Radio Network each and every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Go to podcastradionetwork.net for more. And also, please don't forget about the three S's. Share, subscribe, and star ratings. It really helps us so much. And thanks to everyone, the listeners, the friends, the podcasters who have shared the show on Twitter. It really helps us out. And we are rewarding a listener that helps us out in this regard. We've got a contest going on to earn someone out there a free Kingpin combo pack. It's a color 8x10 and an I'm a Pinhead Kingpin Brian Malonis t-shirt. Keep listening. Later in the podcast, you can find out how you can enter to win this special, special prize. Okay, today, folks, coming up on the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing, we'll have Merv Griffin time 
a promo about nothing, and a whole lot more. But first, let's get right to today's very important topic. Now, Brian, this is the first of what will probably be a number of podcasts we do looking at kind of the founding fathers of New England pro wrestling. Uh, this is actually a suggestion of Big Woody, you know, a longtime fan of the show. Uh, he gave that to us a few months back, and we thought it was a great idea, and thanks, Big Woody. So today, we are talking about somebody who gave countless people in the area opportunities through the Century Wrestling Alliance. Later, it was NWA New England. Uh, he was a man known in the wrestling business as the Boston bad boy, Tony Rumble. It's the 17th anniversary, unbelievable, 17th anniversary of his passing on November 13th, 1999, of a massive heart attack. And that sad event had reverberations all around the New England scene, and we'll talk about that. But to help us talk about Tony, we are joined by a man who, like me later on, was broken into pro wrestling by Tony Rumble in 1993 as his ring announcer. And he is, some 23 years later, known as the voice of New England when it comes to wrestling. He's a ring announcer and commentator for Chaotic Wrestling and a ring announcer for Beyond Wrestling, XWA, many, many other promotions. Welcome to the Wrestling Podcast about Hold on, nothing. you forgot something. He is currently training the future voice <laughs> of uh, voice of New England as uh, featured on social media. This is Anthony Palladino, right? <laughs> yeah. right. This right. is Anthony's dad, Rich Palladino. <laughs> wow, 23 years, and now I'm my, my kid's dad. Yeah, Anthony will get a kick out of that. <laughs> yeah, he certainly will. He certainly will. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks very much for being here, uh, especially to talk about something like this. Uh, Tony Rumble. Um, I mean, anyone that was around in like the late 80s, early 90s probably remembers that Boston satin jacket and that Boston batting helmet. Tony Rumble, he was a longtime manager. He ended up becoming a promoter, obviously. You know, we both worked for him, Rich. Mm-hmm. And so, what. Do you know of the background of Tony Rumble? He was born on November 6th, 1956. Can you believe yeah, he's he been gone 17 years? Yeah, I can't believe it's been 17 years, and I can't believe that November 6th he would have been 60 years old. So that kind of blows the mind right there, that if Tony yeah. was still around, he'd be 60, but he would still be Tony and still be doing Tony things and still packing houses and running some <laughs> of the best shows in New England without a doubt but um, what I knew of Tony before wrestling I mean obviously growing up as a fan I always watched Tony on ICW whether he was wrestling or managing or hosting the rumble seat or whatever else that he did with ICW um, you know just I just knew he was a wrestling fan before the back of his satin jacket always said Fallon Field from what I understand that was like just a, a local park in Boston perhaps in the combat zone um, that whether it was a gang thing or whatever, I, I, I can't quantify or, or qualify that. But Tony um, grew up in Boston. I always heard the stories about how he used to sneak into the Boston Garden because he couldn't afford a ticket when he was right. a kid, but he just had to be there to watch Bruno and Ivan Koloff and everybody like that. I just, I just knew very little of Tony because when I first met him, I only knew of him through the business and just from watching him on TV. So it, to actually meet him... Like my first paying job was working with Tony, and I don't know if you guys know the story. Um, and if I'm getting off track, no, just let go. me know. Go, please. So in 1991, at the Lowell Auditorium, we were all just hanging out there this past April for uh, NXT and right whatnot. down the road, yeah, right down the road. Um, there was an independent wrestling show under the banner of the American Wrestling Federation. I was there. 
Um, I don't know if you were there, but it was basically every top independent unsigned name was on the show from Nikolai Volkov to Kamala to Jim Cornette with Stan Lane. Guys from Puerto Rico like Hercules Ayala, TNT, who ended up becoming Savio Vega, obviously. I mean, a who's who of independent wrestling was on this show. Nikita Koloff was there. He was supposedly injured and just ended up cutting a promo. Paul Orndorff was there. They had a one-night tournament that consisted of maybe three or four tournament matches of like Paul Orndorff against the late uh, Chris Duffy. God rest his oh, soul. Oh, man. Um, yeah, and, and it was stuff like that. And there was a tournament and Paul Orndorff became the first AWF heavyweight champion. Well, long story short, it was the only show that they ever put on. <laughs> I think there was one in New Jersey the night before. Um, Paul Orndorff, now the longest reigning AWF heavyweight <laughs> champion in history. Yeah, and, and, you know, and not to get off topic, but when Orndorff won that belt and they never ran another show, the promoter tried to get the belt back and Orndorff actually was working the promoter and was like, but I won it. <laughs> True story. Sure. Like so, so Paul Hondorf uh, today here in 2016 might still be in possession of the AWF or is it AWF I do think he, I they do think the promoter's name was Gordon Scazzari and he has also since passed away which is kind of creepy um but anyways he, he had run this show and had this these big delusions of grandeur that this was going to be the next big thing. That's never happened before. No, no. <laughs> and I'll tell you though he had a couple of guys that were running the back for him and one was Dutch Mantel. Oh, wow. It was actually there. And the other one was Tony Rumble. So this was 91. I was still two years away from even breaking into the business. And this guy, I met him at a WWF show at the auditorium a month later. Now, this guy had been one of six ring announcers. So here I am knowing I always wanted to be a ring announcer. And I'm sitting in the front row and I'm looking at all these guys from even guys like Macho Man Randy Savage's dad, Angelo Poffa, was like a guest ring announcer for a couple matches. Dr. Mike Lano from oh, California. Yeah. He was ringing out in a couple matches. Um, in relation to Ralph Lano? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. <laughs> That's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so this guy, Gordon Scazzari, he was wearing a tuxedo. So I just assumed he was the ring announcer for the American Wrestling Federation. And I was so happy that all these guys I've seen on TV were on this show. So now I see him at a WWF show a month later and I go, hey, aren't you the ring announcer from the AWF? He's like, well, actually, I own the company, which he really did. Right. If, if you can own an independent wrestling company that runs two shows. <laughs> so, uh, so I said, well, geez, I've always wanted to be a ring announcer. And you had like six that night. And he's like, oh, make me a tape. I made an audio cassette, okay? <laughs> my, my father, even at 79 years old, still plays in a band, Ed Palladino and the Preferred Sound. Not Eddie Palladino, the PA announcer for the Celtics, but that's my dad's name, Ed Palladino. And I went to one of, he, like, he would play like on a Sunday night, and too old and tired to break down his equipment that night. He'd go back the next day and pick it up. I brought a tape recorder and a cassette. And I like pretended I was ring announcing like a couple of just random names. I gave that guy that tape and he goes, Oh, you're hired. I was like, <laughs> wait, wait, he didn't lead him play it. He just, you just Oh, he, he, he listened to it. He goes, oh, okay. oh, that's great. <laughs> Next thing you know, he goes, all right, well, I don't have any shows coming up except for this one thing I'm doing down in Puerto Rico with the rock and roll express. I couldn't make this up if I tried. <laughs> Rock and Roll Express were going to headline. He was going to do shows in Puerto Rico because he did have an affiliation with, like I said, Hercules Ayala, uh, TNT, and some other folks um, that ran in Puerto Rico. So he says, 
go buy yourself a tuxedo and give me the receipt. And I'm like, oh, this is this is either going to be the dream or this is going to be uh, the nightmare where I'm going to have to come up with two or 300 bucks. <laughs> I went to the Burlington Mall. I went to Mr. Tux. I bought a tuxedo. It was like $295. Right. And I remember my mom was so like, "This is like 1991 money." <laughs> this, yeah, this is this is 92. Yeah, so this is me. I think still stocking the shelves at the local CVS where I worked through high school and college. So my mother advised against buying the tuxedo that I was never going to get this money. Lo and behold, I got the money. Wow. Lo and behold, there was no show in Puerto Rico. <laughs> so the tuxedo that I wore and still fit into, probably for the first two or three years of my career, was the one that that gentleman had paid for you get a free tuxedo out of it i got a free tux i never saw that coming (laughs) (laughs) so now what i want to know rich is uh so you're making this uh demo rewind to the demo tape here for a second yes now are you just straight up doing like your best like howard finkel type thing at that point (laughs) i was just a hometown a weight and a wrestler's name do you have it still or you know i'd have to dig for it oh my god you know i would love to hear this yeah i um (laughs) It's got to be somewhere, but it would be, I'd have to find a cassette player that actually works to hear it on anyways. <laughs> but um, So how did this lead you to Tony Rumble's Century Wrestling Alliance? So the guy, Gordon, was going to, this show was going to air, National Brother, uh-huh. AWF Power Slam Wrestling. I actually have the master footage of the entire show. There's 16 matches on the card. I have it all. Really? And um, so when I sold myself as a ring announcer, he said, well, I'm going to be produce, you know, we're going to go in the studio and produce this. Um, can you do commentary? I was like, well, sure. I've done it in my head for <laughs> the last 20 something years. So sure. Um, he said, okay, great. You know, Tony Rumble, um, he's going to do the color and you can be my play by play guy. Rented a car. I didn't have to take my own car. I didn't have to use my own gas. Um, we went to Revere, picked up Tony. I met the Boston bad boy. And I was like, so excited. Cause I was like, ICW Mark. I mean, right. We got it up here all the time. So um, drove to, I think it was Augusta, Maine, wherever the Savoldis, whatever they used uh, for post-production for the TV studio, um, where Tony and um, your friend Brian Webster used to do the, uh, the wraparounds. It was a good two-hour ride, and I was the driver. And uh, let's just say a couple of times during the trip, Tony would be like, hey, Paladino, uh, pull over to the slow lane. Don't go too fast. And I just... <laughs> Look straight ahead. I didn't want to know what else was going in the car. I didn't, didn't care. So Tony and I ended up doing play-by-play for the show, which was kind of creepy because I'm in a studio watching it on the monitor, and I can see me and my mullet in the front row. All right? Again, true story. Um, lo and behold, those shows never aired anywhere except for in my basement. And... Um, but that was my first paying gig. So now here's where it gets fun. Before we went on the air, we were talking about paydays and independent wrestling and whatnot. Mike, you and Tony or you and the... Uh, the three Gordon. of us before we oh. went on here. But you you and I know what we were getting from Tony back in the day, paying right. our dues uh, on the indies. Well, Gordon Scazzari, God rest his soul, cuts me a check for my day's services. $200. It's a hell of a first payday. 1992 $200, which is probably like... Four fifty now. So so far we're up to a free tux, two hundred dollars. Right, and I'm like, I'm in. So this is like the opposite. You know, a lot of times when you're first starting, they say no payday, but a lot of exposure. Exactly. This is all payday, no, no exposure. Right. So I had this money, and all I had was like a VHS tape that I could just pop in the VCR. My my mom thought it was the greatest thing ever. So, um, 
so yeah, so boy, after that, I really realized that that is not the way independent wrestling worked. But I did realize that the check that I got for the tux and the check that I got for that said from the inheritance of, and it was that gentleman's parents. So, oh. and I never asked him, but when you see a check like that, his parents obviously had passed away and left him a buttload of money where he could book Nikita Koloff and Junkyard Dog and Kamala and the Botswana Beast and everybody wow. else was it. It was ridiculous. I'll, I'll have to dig out the tapes. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it was quite a card. So that was it. So Tony and I ended up doing the play-by-play. That's how we met. And um, I'll give you guys that picture I was talking about if you want to put it on the uh, WPAN Instagram or something. Sure. Me, no facial hair, mullet, purple, bum equipment, <laughs> sweatshirt. Yes. Look it up. 1992 was wicked cool. I just want to know why, like, every, every, it seems like, because uh, this gentleman, and then uh, what was it? Uh, the Lobster Man promoter, Wolfman there, who, like, won Powerball and came up with a buttload of money. It's like, I'm- why is these people's first thought, I got a ton of money. <laughs> Let's run independent wrestling right? shows and overpay everyone. Right? Isn't that the worst? I mean, it's 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 true, but it you know, a two hundred dollar payday and then what whatever happened, Tony and I kind of kept in touch. So from the time we did that, it was April sixth, nineteen ninety two. It's my first paying job in wrestling. Mm-hmm. I still don't credit my career beginning until 93 because from April of ninety two to October of ninety three when Tony ran his first show, I don't, I didn't do anything, so I didn't feel like I worked in the business. I would just creep around at shows and wear a sport coat and say, hey, I'm a ring announcer and never got any work. But um, So what was, what was uh, Tony like when you first met him? I don't, I don't mind saying that I was pretty intimidated by yeah. Tony. He's like, he was like a very, very tall guy. Yeah, he was about 6'4", maybe 6'5", very intimidating, always had the sunglasses on. Very rarely did you see Tony without his glasses, except you know, like during a match or managing or whatnot. But when I met Tony, it was the guy that I saw on TV. Right. And, and I'm not going to dance all around. I, I'm, I'm going to segue into something else. But I don't know if you were with us when Tony actually brought us to Hartford, Connecticut for a WCW house show. I don't know if you were with me. No, uh, I wasn't. I know it was with Doyle, Pat Doyle and a couple other folks. But that night I met Ric Flair. And when I met Ric Flair, it was the exact same person as I saw on TV because we were at a bar and he was literally buying bottles of champagne. When I met Tony, it was the same Boston bad boy that I saw on television. It wasn't Anthony Magliaro. It was the Boston bad boy, Tony Rumble. He spoke just like the guy on TV. You know, he was telling me things about the business. He was telling me about when ICW used to run in the Bahamas and Tyree Pride used to bring more weed than anybody should be allowed to have in one <laughs> spot at one time. I mean, anyway, he's talking to me about, you know, interviewing Dory Funk and working with Dory Funk and picking Dory Funk's brain. I'm like... This is my first day on the job. This is the greatest, other than recording that thing with my dad on the tape recorder. Right. (laughs) This is like the greatest thing ever. And I was like, you know, still a huge mark for this business. I love this business. I think we all love this business. I think in some sense, we're all a mark for the business. I was a big Tony Rumble mark. So I was just very excited to meet him. He was no different. Never let his guard down. Was always Tony Rumble. So you said you watched him on TV before you, you met him in ICW. Do you remember like... Like I saw online, he started wrestling in 1984, which I had no idea. Yeah. So we started in the ring as a wrestler. He's famous as a manager. Yeah. But he started in the ring. And he would have told you, if he was sitting here right now, he would tell you that he was not a good professional wrestler. <laughs> I did see him have a couple matches later in the uh, CWA, NWA New England, and yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, short arm clothesline, you know, um, whatever. But, you know, Tony was uh, enhancement talent, if you will at ICW, and the legend that he told me was the first time he was in the ring at ICW, 
It was a TV taping, and I, I dare say at the Lowell Auditorium, where the Savoldis used to run, and his two opponents that he wrestled that night, one was Bruiser Brody, the other was Abdullah the Butcher. <laughs> and in one of those matches, Tony's tied up in the ropes, and Brody comes over with the big boot, and you see Tony spit out what looked like two teeth, and he had told me they were Tic Tacs. Right. And that, you know, as if Brody had kicked his teeth out and everything. And he was. He, he wrestled on TV for a little while, then, um, you know, had the Boston Bad Boys tag team with Rocky Raymond. And then um, that kind of disintegrated. And there was another Boston Bad Boy that wasn't Tony. Uh, it was a big dude from up in Maine. I can't remember his name. Oh, really? Name. Yeah. There was a third one? There was a third one. Yeah. Wow. We're going to have to do some. Uh, I'm going to have to. Break out the old VHS tapes. If we can find a VCR that works, <laughs> I'd have to go through my stash at home. But um, so that was it. So they had a, a little bit of a push as um, as a tag team, as the Boston Bad Boys, you know. But a lot of times too, you were wrestling Joseph Oldie and whatever name that the Savoldis would bring in. Right. You know, they were always the top tag team was Joseph Oldie and Austin Idol, or you know, <laughs> and um, you know, so you would see Tony and, and if you look hard enough. You'll find Bull Montana in some of those. Um, wow, either, either as Bull Montana <laughs> or I think he was one of the masts. Uh, 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 Rich, I think you're missing something uh, in his name there. The legendary Thank you. Bull Montana. <laughs> That's right. We love you, Bull. And sometimes Bull would wrestle under a mask. I think they had a couple of masked scorpions or something. Just enhancement guys for TV. Right. But yeah, that's, that's where Tony started before the whole managing thing. Yeah, and before we get to the CWA and your first official show as yes. ring announcer, Tony, as I said, went on to be a manager, and he managed like Tony Atlas, the Tasmaniac, the Undertakers. We talked about briefly on our show with, with Brian, Brian Webster. Webster. Yeah. Yes, there was a lawsuit involved. Or there certainly was. A lawsuit. There certainly was, and and they ended up getting some work with Vince over that yeah they were they were did house shows as the troublemakers or double uh, trouble double trouble yeah yes <laughs> from the undertakers to double trouble yeah yeah <laughs> the punisher and the henchmen i think they were called and they had the black hoods and everything and that was you know tony's little creation and then all of a sudden mark calloway became the undertaker and somebody spoke up and said hey hey there's some royalties uh gotta be coming our way and i remember they actually wrestled at the garden um tony and val um really as Double Trouble might have been against High Energy. I'm going to have to go back to the record wow. books. But um, yeah, but I remember that they did have a couple of house shows or something. Um, and I'm sure a couple of bucks in the, in the payoff, whatnot. But yeah, but Tony uh, really made his name as a manager and a damn good one. Right. And he also booked ICW or slash IWCCW. But I mean, the thing we want to really get to here is the CWA. Century Wrestling Alliance. Mm -hmm. You said their first show was in 1993. October 23rd, 1990. Well, the first show that I did for Tony was in 93. He had been running things before. I don't know how often he ran. I want to say with late 80s. I think it was 89. He had been running um, shows out of Wallingford, Connecticut at the, uh, I think it was Century Toyota or something. You and I ended up doing some shows there in the mid-90s. Yes, but, yes. Um, yeah, there, there was a Century Wrestling Alliance before we came along, before I came along. But it was when, you know, whatever he was running before that, it wasn't in my backyard or else I would have been there checking it out. But it was when he ran at Wakefield High School. That was when my phone rang and he goes, you still want to be a ring announcer, kid? And I was like, yes, I do. 
<laughs> and you talk about the $200 paydays and then going to reality. I mean, that show, there was over a thousand people inside Wakefield High School. The building. Wakefield High School Fieldhouse, my hey, alma mater. Were you there? Were you there, Mike? Then I was not there. Yeah, and I graduated in '93. Okay, so I don't know where the hell I where was. Where were you? I don't know. I'm sure, I'll oh, with the ladies, right? You were a real ladies' man back in high school. <laughs> I'm assuming. Right? Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I mean that that was when my career started with Tony, and it was the uh, the obligatory twenty five dollar payday. And I said, how about if I make programs? And I made the shittiest programs <laughs> on the shittiest typewriter. And I literally like cut pictures out of magazines and like taped them on the page. And my mother, God love her, ran all the copies right. at her office without getting fired and sold a ton of them to a thousand people. And at the end of the night, I was told, we only sold 10 programs. Here's $10. <laughs> I was like, I got a tux. I got 200 bucks a year and a half ago. I just made $25 for ring announcing and doing commentary. And I made $10 for the probably 300 programs that I made, none of which were left. You know what, though? I was in the business. I didn't care. That's the independent wrestling I know and love. (laughs) Right back to reality, boys. Yeah, so so that was that. What would you think, uh, Rich... Tony's style of like how would Tony run a locker room? What what's Tony's style for like when he how he ran the CWA? Uh well it was Tony's rules all the time. Um, right. it was uh your matches on when it's on and who I say is going over is going over and nobody ever questioned Tony about booking finishes or anything like that. They didn't dare. Um or they would not be asked back and they would not get paid that night. Um Tony ran a tight ship. Tony, if you worked for Tony, you worked for Tony. Um, He didn't want you. I mean, back then it was Tony and Kowalski. And at that point, Kowalski's guys didn't work Tony's shows and vice versa, you know. And um, it it was, but but Tony's had a very different way of thinking. Again, the first few shows, I really can't speak to the booking because I was so new to the business. Right. But. Here's a way Tony's mind would work. The Bushwhackers. I remember there, there was a time when guys that were in WWF could do independence. Mm-hmm. Calls me one day and he goes, Paladino. He goes, I'm bringing in the Bushwhackers for the show we're doing in Chelsea. But I'm not bringing in the Bushwhackers. I'm bringing back the sheep herders. So the kids are all going to line up with their little snotty noses and expect to see the Bushwhackers <laughs> and the sardines. And they're going to just pummel a couple of baby faces and cut them open and there's going to be blood and the kid's going to be terrified. <laughs> that was, that's, that was Tony. Tony was also the kind of guy that maybe my fourth or fifth show in, he brought in Kevin Sullivan and told Kevin Sullivan to initiate me into the business, meaning attack me after the match without telling me. <laughs> and that was 94. I'll never, Melrose Memorial Auditorium. I will never forget it. And uh, I got back to the locker room, and I'm like, did I do something wrong? And Kevin's like, no, Tony told me to break you into the business. Welcome to the business, kid. And I was like, okay. But that was Tony. That was it. But- how, how often, how, they, these guys are only working just for one place or the other. How often are these shows? He was running one, maybe twice a month. But back then, there was... Um, yeah, it wasn't Pro. at a VFW hall. It wasn't. No, yeah. these were like at the Memorial Hall, at the high schools and whatnot. There weren't as many indies going on. I, I should say, you could probably work other places if you had already established something. But like, I wasn't allowed to announce anywhere 
else. I worked for Tony and Tony only. That was kind of his deal. So I should specify, it's not like he's going to tell Tony Atlas, hey, you can only wrestle on the Century Wrestling Oh, lines. right, right. No, I figured it was just the local guys kind yeah. of following it. But I'm just curious, as you know, are these guys not, you know, because now I think if you worked for one place, it might be detrimental to oh, absolutely. your development. So I didn't know, yeah. you know, if they're running once a month, once every two months or something, yeah. you know. I mean, we'll probably get into it later, but I remember when I was ring announcing for ECW having to tell basically Paul Heyman that I couldn't do his shows because Tony was running the same night. Tony was very big on loyalty. And as much as I wanted to do ECW, especially since one of those shows was going to be TV taped in Webster, my number one priority was to Tony. It's kind of like today. And that's, I think that's a respect thing, but that, that was a big loyalty. It was a big thing for Tony. And I think that's, that's a respect thing too. It's the same thing when I work for other promoters now. I've been with Chaotic Wrestling for 16 years, and Chaotic gets my top priority. So, you know, it was the same thing back then. Tony was like, uh, no, I'm running those nights. You, you can't work for ECW. And uh, I didn't work for ECW that weekend. It's kind of funny how you're talking about, you know, guys who worked for Kowalski couldn't work for Rumble and vice versa. I think a friend of ours is kind of the first person to bridge that gap and be a Kowalski guy and work for Tony and kind of led the way. It's kind Rodeo. of an unlikely person. Yeah, John Johnny. Rodeo. Yeah, and you know, John and I were really, really good friends. I first met John um, at the Liberty Tree Mall. Kowalski was doing a show. Triple yes. H was terrorizing. Against Tony Roy, yes. Snooker was there and uh, Metal Maniac, yes. believe it or not, I was that. as well. But I was uh, there. John and I became very friendly and John was like, you know, I really want to work for Tony. And I said, well, that's pretty much going to get you exiled from Kowalski's. Somewhere along the way, there was a, a peace, peace offering or, or there was yeah. truce or something because my greatest memory was Kowalski eventually coming on a CWA show and Tony taking the stomach claw from Walter. I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, at Good Times, mm -hmm. um, Good Time Emporium in Somerville, which is no longer there. But when you talk about what kind of booker was Tony, okay, well, he brings in John Rodeo, who we called Rodeo constantly right hey rodeo and he gave him tiny the terrible and half nelson as his so john was supposed to be the hollywood producer he had the street sign and they said rodeo drive and everything that was his whole character yeah i remember the um the wesley and denzel thing which would yeah. be john building it up on their local tv cwa mass madness yeah like wesley and denzel are coming wesley yeah. and denzel are coming that eventually they show up there too Little people. Right. But uh, we sh so we should get into CWA Mass Madness, which was the television show, mm -hmm. Cable Access, mm -hmm. that started in 1993 and it went all the way to 1999 when Tony passed. And the guy behind that is a guy named Pat Doyle, yep. who uh, did like, he was a jack of all trades. He did everything, yeah. uh, especially video-wise for on Tony. NDS? Yeah, well. Eventually, at the eventually, end. Eventually, yeah. yeah, we yeah. were on NDS, but... Um, CWA Mass Madison, Pat Doyle is brilliant. I mean, he produced some great television and he put his heart and soul into that. And he was one of Tony's main men. Right. I mean, you know, there was Knuckles, there was Sprasia, there was Jeff Katz. And from the production standpoint, there was Pat Doyle and the Jackal because mm -hmm. the Jackal was a hell of a commentator. I mean, he, he could be calling the actual moves and provide color depending on i know he ended up becoming mark smart was his name right. which again that's tony these are the things that tony came up with tony actually you talked about uh, kevin sullivan being on shows and helping break you into the wrestling business uh 
quite literally, but he actually got Tony onto a WCW pay-per-view, World War III in 1996. He sure did. (laughs) (laughs) So Kevin would come in and book. He was actually doing some booking. I mean, you think about Tony was booking the shows. Tony was running the shows. He, uh, he'd have Kevin Sullivan come in and do booking sometimes. He'd have Jim Cornette come in and do booking sometimes. Yeah, and then next thing you know, World War Three because WCW needed to feature 60 different wrestlers in three rings Yes, uh, in Battle Royal. And that, that Sunday night, out comes Tony Rumble with a like Patriots-inspired Boston jersey. I think it said Rumble on the back or something. He came out, held the helmet up. And I think the people at the Norfolk Scope, I think it was in Norfolk, Virginia, that I were kind of, who, who is this guy? But that was the whole thing. And, and it was through that that you'd see guys like Maverick Wild, who was wrestling for Tony at the time, would be wrestling on Nitro. And Scott Dickinson ended up getting a full-time referee position. Right. Um, so Dickinson started, started here? Dickinson started like before the Tony Rumble days. Dickinson probably started late, eight, mid to late 80s anyways. He and Paul Richard... Um, were a couple of the main referees in this area. And then Dickinson, Sullivan took a shine to to Dickinson, and he became a regular on WCW TV. And he would fulfill those obligations around his real work as a, as a postal carrier. I mean, pretty amazing stuff. But um, Ace Darling and um, Devin Storm, who wrestled countless shows for Tony, ended up working, I think, as the extremists or something. I think they were the extremists for Tony, and then they were just called the extreme on Nitro. And you might be right on that. But again, it was just, it was stuff that all came from Tony. And uh, and this association with Kevin Sullivan. Yeah. Yeah. And even like we'd have Public Enemy, when Public Enemy was wrestling for WCW, they would be on Tony's shows. I mean, there was all kinds of just, it was just the best place to be. And I mean, other than working for Kowalski, you know, I wasn't trained by Kowalski. I mean, I don't think he really trained any announcers, but, um, you know, it, it was just, it was, it was the place to be. And, you know, Tony was always had his finger on the pulse of pop culture and just knew how to book a show and knew how to pack a place. So also you mentioned ECW, how you started being the regular ring announcer for ECW in New England, you know, when Tony wasn't running a show. Yeah. Um, but what do you remember about the Michinoku Pro Japanese promotion came in and did an ECW loop. And one of the nights, those uh, Michoku guys wrestled for the CWA. Tony at the, at the old Chelsea Armory. Yes. And um, that was the same weekend. So uh, ECW had run Friday and Saturday. It was one of those rare weekends where Tony had three shows. I mean, we were down in New Britain, Connecticut one night. Uh, I know we ended up in Chelsea. I'm not sure where we were on that, that night in between. But ECW was running Friday and Saturday. And then the Michinoku guys were on those two shows. I want to say like Webster and somewhere else, maybe Waltham. Those are the ones you had to miss, right? Those are the ones I had to miss. Uh, Wendell Weatherby ended up being the ring announcer. But um, the third day of that, ECW did two shows. Tony's third show, we had the Michinoku guys on there. And uh, that, that was something that nobody really had that kind of access to. And um, I think Sheldon Goldberg had a little bit to do with that because right. he kind of worked behind the scenes with Tony a lot and uh, relationship with Shun Yamaguchi. And we had the six-man tag in Chelsea. And uh, I actually have a signed poster from the guys from Michinoku. We all went out to dinner. They took us out to dinner that night in Boston. It was just surreal. So it was like, yeah, it was miserable. I had to miss the two ECW shows, but I stayed loyal to my promote my boss that gave me my break. 
and uh, in the end ended up having an amazing kick-ass show with Kevin Sullivan and guys from Michinoku Pro and um, just very fortunate to have the opportunities that I had working for somebody like Tony. So in 1998, the Century Wrestle Alliance officially became NWA New England. So there was that NWA association going forward. They had Dan Severn in uh, for a couple of shots as the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. And the NWA World Tag Team Championship ended up coming to the Brotherhood. Yes. Uh, and the Brotherhood was kind of a dark shadow that hung over uh, CWA wherever they went. They were like the, the big heel faction led by Tony yep. and uh, Eric Sprasia, yep. Knuckles Nelson, uh, Duke Stalton a little later. Yep. Were a Trey. part of it. Trey, yes, the smooth operating gangsta. And little Larry. Trey was part of, part of the Trey brotherhood? Was, absolutely. Goodness. Absolutely. Ironically enough, I just did a show for Big Time Wrestling in Everett, and Trey was there, and I hadn't seen Trey in a long time. And I was trying to, Eric Sprasia, who still lives up in that area, and I still keep in touch with, we were talking about getting together after the show. I go, you might want to come to the show now, because Wagner, Swick Wagner Brown was on the show. And Trey was there. I was like, geez, we got a nice little... And Bo Douglas. I'm like, we have a nice little NWA New England reunion we could have right here in Everett and this, just a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, Trey was, Trey was part of the group. Um, but the, the cornerstone was Tony, Eric, and Knuckles. And they ended up being NWA World Tag Team Champions and traded the belts, I believe, with Public Enemy, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, in Bolton, Mass., um, I was actually looking at the NWA World Tag Team title history, and there's a little like discrepancy that I don't really recall because it says there the titles were held up because of a uh, Eric Sprasia injury. But I actually went to um, an unnamed source to kind of figure this out because I seem to remember that um, there was like the NWA. Let's let me just put it this way: the Brotherhood won the World Tag Team titles at the 50th anniversary NWA show in New Jersey. Yeah, at the convention, yeah. Yes. Cherry Hill. And they want them to lose them uh, at the 51st anniversary show. But from my source, he said that Tony might have been pissed that the board decided to go with a different NWA champion. So he decided to like give him like a little FU. Yeah. And before they left to drop the titles to Team Extreme, Yeah. He had them drop the titles to the New York Posse at one of the right. NWA New England shows. Curtis Slamdog, was it, let's see, the Posse was Curtis Slamdog, Ron Zombie. Jay Cobain. And Jay Cobain, <laughs> uh, a.k.a. The Outpatient. Yes. Um, you remember yeah. this whole story? I do. And I th- and if I'm not mistaken, Team Extreme, was that the team down in Texas? Was that yes. Kit Carson and Chris Jeremy? Yes, exactly. God, I'm- Wow. Freaking amazing. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. But this is like an example of Tony, like, you know, this is Tony's way and Tony does yeah. it his own way. And I think we did that in Somerville, if I'm not mistaken. I, I'm, I can't remember which town we were in. But uh, yeah, the, the New York Posse, former NWA World Tag Team Champions. And that's amazing. And three good guys, too. Yeah. So they three went. good dudes. They ended up going to North Carolina and dropping the titles, even though they had already dropped them. Uh, an unsanctioned NWA yeah. World Championship match <laughs> yeah. uh, in Somerville yeah. or something like that beforehand. Yeah. So then when they came back, the New York Posse dropped the belts back to the Brotherhood, and yeah. the Brotherhood said, we're still the NWA World Tag Team Champions. There it is. <laughs> yeah. And that was it. It was Tony's way or the highway. And it was like that with everything. I mean, 
you talked about um, being intimidated the first time you met Tony. I was intimidated working for Tony for the six years that I was fortunate <laughs> enough to. Um, and I, I'm going to, uh, if I can just go off off, sure. off the script here for a second. There's we, no script. <laughs> format i'm sorry <laughs> but i don't want to i don't want to bounce all over the no, place please. but the i talked about the ecw to the time i spent in ecw the first ecw show i did was november 23rd of 1996 and a little incident happened there and mm. uh, it might have involved a little local wrestler well a very big local wrestler <laughs> who is mass transit this is mass transit <laughs> and i've told the story before in 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 other avenues and nobody really needs to hear it again but there was a big controversy as, as recently mentioned on the Colt Cabana podcast actually <laughs> yes. I thought we're not supposed to mention other podcasts oh, on here no 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 we can mention we're, we're a friend to all podcasts yes. we, we love Colt Cabana and uh, honestly when I was on that Cabana says to me he goes do you have any good stories from your career and I said well my fr- I used to do ECW shows my first one was Mass Transit he's like you're on so that was it <laughs> so of course he fed he fed right led me right into Talking about that, sure enough. So the mass transit incident goes down, and if you all don't know what I'm talking about, go look it up online. Okay, so the next night was World War Three. So okay. Tony wasn't even in town, yeah. and it was in his hometown of Revere when I made my first appearance for ECW, and then the show almost got shut down, and um, <laughs> whatever. I get a phone call Monday morning at my at my shoot job, and it's Tony Paladino. Were you ring announcing for Heyman? <laughs> yes, I was. Isn't that great, Tony? He paid me a lot of money, and it was awesome. And oh my god, he I goes, got real blood on my brand new tux. <laughs> my shoes are ruined. And uh, he says, "Um, well, now you're in trouble." And I said, "I had to ask you to do ECW. I didn't think I." Taz and Dreamer were the ones that like were like right there, like they vouched for me. It's not that. He goes, "What happened to that kid?" And that the show almost getting shut down. He goes, "That's going to go to court." And now you're, you're uh, not, not an accomplice, but he's like, you're an accessory. You were part of that. Now you're going to have to go testify in court. What do you think that does to me? What do you think that does to my promotion? I'm like shit in my pants. Because yeah. Tony <laughs> was pissed. Because I wouldn't have thought to call Tony and be like, hey, I got this chance to work for the third biggest company in the United States. Is that okay? You know, it wasn't that. It was that there was an incident. And I was the announcer. So when it did go to court, I never had to go in or, or testify or anything because I had nothing to do with it. I didn't even announce the match. You know, in ECW, you used to announce old style the way we do it in Beyond. Yeah. Um, we do it when everybody's in the ring. And Joel Gertner was my coach for the night. And he said, okay, look, when you get to this match, you're not going to announce it. The gangsters are going to come out. They're going to throw the trash barrels in the ring. Just get out and try not to get hit. And murder this kid. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but that... that when you talk about Tony's way, I mean, that was it. I mean, that Monday, I mean, I, I, I honestly think I left work a little bit early because I was so despondent and so upset that Tony was, it, 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 it's like when your parents, like, they don't really punish you. They're kind of like, I'm just disappointed. The worst. <laughs> it was, it was kind of like that. And, and, but again, it, it, that's the only way I can sum it up with Tony. I was always loyal. Tony always came first, but here he was down at WCW doing the pay-per-view, and then he hears about all the shit that went down in Revere, and Monday morning, oh man, he just lit me up, but yeah, yeah what are you going to do? I had a similar story, well, I mean, there's a lot less blood loss involved, but uh, <laughs> I left a show, I, I had worked for Tony for a little while, and I left a show before it was over, 
I left with my friends John Rodeo and Steve King, mm-hmm. and I looked at the sheet. I didn't see my name in the main event, so I was like, oh, okay, I can leave. So I left with them, and as it turns out, like the other referee on the show had said, oh, Crockett's supposed to referee that main event, and... Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, I, what, what are you talking about? I was supposed to do the main event. I wasn't on the sheet. I approached Tony at the next show, and I was a nervous Nelly, shaking. my hands shaking. Yeah. I, ha- I had the booking sheet or the sheet off the wall <laughs> in my hand, and I went up to Tony. Tony, I know that you think that I left because I had the main event, but if you look here, I'm not listed. He's like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, what? It doesn't matter. If he says you're supposed to be here, he's supposed to be here. He's he's the senior official. There it is. So, I mean, Tony just, that's... That was it. Yeah. And you never left early again, did you? Crockett Crockett went in the bathroom and proceeded to vomit. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah, it was a nervous Nelly, but yeah, Yeah. that's... I never left a show early again. And and that was the thing, and and he could scold you like that, but there would be other times where we'd have some kind of big show and I would make one of my shitty little flyers or posters or programs or something and i would get like an envelope in the mail with like 25 dollars in it and it would just say thank you you know it was or or he would give it to me in person be like hey i really appreciate you doing that thing for that show in melrose or something so there was a softer side and you know tony was tough tony was hard on you and kind of told you his way or the highway obviously but he truly appreciated those that worked for him um, one night, uh, the night I referenced earlier, when we went down to WCW down in Hartford, we were back at the hotel, like literally partying with Ric Flair and Arne Anderson. I'm like, this is not happening. This, this, this is just not happening. Well, we're driving back and I was with Tony and I was just like, I might've had a couple too many to drink. And I was just like, Tony, I, thank you so much for everything you do for me. I, I can't. <laughs> and he's like, Paladino, shut up, you're drunk, go to sleep, we'll wake you up when you get home. And I was like, you know, so it's like he had to show that tough love. And, and you know, that's probably a, a bad example, but I will just never forget that. I was like completely blowing smoke after having maybe a couple of drinks. And he was just like, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, it, It's okay. You're one of the boys. It's okay. You know, and that was it. I, I couldn't think of a better way to have been broken into this business. So. Let's talk about, before we get out of here, the run that we had on WNDS, yeah. the, like Brian was talking about, it was on cable access for all that time. But in 1999, we got on basic cable, well, basic cable was a, a UHF station, right? <laughs> UHF, yes. <laughs> it was TV 50 <laughs> out of Derry, New Hampshire, uh, WNDS. The winds of New England. <laughs> there it is. Yes, indeed. And High pressures. <laughs> it was like on at ten or ten thirty at night Al on Saturday nights. Yes, and who works at Macy's in the Mall of New Hampshire in Manchester? Fun fact. Wow, he does. <laughs> he wow. Sure does. <laughs> so, how did you feel after all this time to be on? I mean, not national TV, but local television over the air. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. Yeah, that was that was a big freaking deal. You know, it wasn't public access. It was UHF. Al Caprillion, the weatherman, now works at Macy's. That's yeah. tremendous. <laughs> He's probably also like 60-something years old. But I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the best thing was, and I'll never forget this, because Tony would do the color. And there was, uh, do you remember Derek Stevens wrestled for us at one point? Um, probably so. pleather pants, probably like the sleeveless tee. Nice, nice kid. Well, he teamed up with Aaron Stevens at the time. And we had never 
established that they were the Stevens brothers on television. So I announced them as the Stevens brothers. And Tony goes, that Paladino, who the hell does he think he is? Just because their last name's Stevens doesn't mean that they're brothers. One of them spells it with a PH. The other one is Evie. And I'm like, what? I'm like, that was never. He goes, I know. He goes, that's that, but that was just what Tony would do. You know, that was just his thing. And, and, oh my God. We should talk about the marathon TV tapings that went into making that show. And Brian can okay. actually come in on this because he attended. Those TV tapings, there'd be one at like wow, yes, good, yeah. good times. Yeah, there'd be like you would have nine a.m., two p.m., and seven p.m. It was a yeah. full day. Yeah, it was. It was a full day. It was uh, a late morning, an early afternoon, and then it ended with a seven p.m. And we all made the same payday that you would get for one show. You would get for three. Yes. Maybe some guys got zero, but I was a, uh, a high. Maybe referees got zero. I was, I was a highfalutin, high-paid twenty-five dollar so. a night ring announcer. And that, the first time we did it, I'm, I got my pay, I got my envelope, and I said, "Hey, I did three shows, like 117 matches today." And, I, and he goes, "Yeah." He goes, "You got paid for the day as a ring announcer, and the rest of your payoff is that you're on TV every weekend." I go. Okay. Exposure. There it is. <laughs> exposure. There's that exposure. Me and Al. So me and Al Caprillion. But that that was just, and that was the same thing. So if the referees were getting no money, I'm sure there was some workers that might have got no money or five bucks or ten bucks. But you know what? God damn it. You're on TV. And uh, Yeah, that was <laughs> enough for me at the time. Yeah. And Brian, so Brian, you would attend these like full day long tapes because you had a, a friend yeah, of yours. My, my, well, you rich will know, but clean. Uh, so my, my, my yeah my yeah my buddy Cleon uh, broke in with Kowalski's uh, when we were in high school uh, and Tony actually took like a like a pretty good liking to him and it was gonna yeah. he was gonna really start using him he really liked Cleon like I think it would like call him and talk to him on the phone and yeah. it would end up actually pushing Cleon uh, out of the business for the first time. Uh, was he booked him against Knuckles Nelson and, and what was supposed to not it was not supposed to be a squash match. And Knuckles just, I, well, I don't know if he was pissed off about it or whatever, and beat the piss mm-hmm. uh, out of uh, out of Clean, and mm-hmm. that was it for Clean. But um, yeah, but I would go to these tapings and and sit in the audience. Remember, uh, <laughs> good times, Joel Davis. Real would deal. Hand, he would hand out his uh, <laughs> trading cards. Trading cards, yeah, or they, they were like really, they were cards. like playing cards with like his picture, like yeah. duct tape or not duct tape, but like, like scotch tape, scotch onto taped it. onto yeah. it. And he gives me like a bunch of. He goes, hold on to these and give them back to me after the show. <laughs> <laughs> too too valuable to give away. And then my, so my buddy had the bright idea because I was always a big kid that I would be his bodyguard, and then like I actually went into the locker room with him, like. With my stuff, and then he comes over and goes, "Yeah, you got to leave." Yeah. <laughs> I had to go back out and just sit and watch the show. And but. you know what? And back then, think about all the merch today in independent wrestling. Back then, an eight by ten. That was it. And for Joel, it was those cards. Hold on to these because I'm probably going to sell them for a couple of bucks each <laughs> to some kids. But that was it. But to, but the, the biggest thing that that we didn't talk about on these three show tapings, they were done during school vacation week. I don't know if you had mentioned that, but that was no. that was what Tony would do. So it, it would be uh, Christmas week or a week in the summer or February April vacation. Three shows, good times in Somerville. I, I just remember like a big show that was like that I went to that was that was built up to was the main event was the was the Archangels. 
for, it was oh. for, for the individual wing attack championships. It was at, it was at a it was at a stadium mm-hmm. and against some like motorcycle. Oh, like, the House of Pave and like, they the had, like, Yeah, they the had, they had like, a, like an like an army of like motorcycle oh, people yeah. for like, their entrance. And, yeah, like... and that was no gimmick. <laughs> no, that was that was like legit. Probably the 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 Gullah brothers. I mean, that was like friends and family. They were like legit, like motorcycle enthusiasts. Probably part of motor. I don't know if there's motorcycle gangs. I'm so like impervious <laughs> to anything other than a than a car. But um, yeah, the House of Pain. I, I keep saying it, but that's another thing of Tony. Tony always made sure that those closest to him were involved. The Gullers were good friends of Tony's. They were from Revere. Tony was from Revere. Eric Sprazier was from Revere. I mean, Eric Sprazier was a skinny 16-year-old kid wrestling for ICW back in 1984. And then look at what yeah. he became, 96. And, you know, he's just, uh, uh, and he's a great guy. He's a great guy, as is Knuckles Nelson. I know he beat the crap out of, out of Cleon, <laughs> but, you know, um, Knuckles is done with the business now. And he's a softer, he's... Kinder, gentler. He's a kinder, gentler, but he, he was always cool with me. Right. Um. I actually remember getting pulled over one time. Uh, me, Eric, and and uh, Knuckles were traveling from one of those Montvale, Connecticut shows, oh. and got pulled over just just for speeding. I mean, not nothing bad was going on. And uh, the cop comes over and he goes, "I was in the back seat," and he goes, "I think Eric was driving." He goes, "What's your name?" He goes, "My name's Eric Sprasia," and uh, he goes. I'm Knuckles Nelson. That's Rich Paladino. I'll just never forget that. I was like, you included me. I'm driving with the tag champs, and you included me. Yeah, but yeah, I still keep in touch with Knuckles and Eric to this day, and and they, they were the cornerstone of the Brotherhood. But yeah, that was just that was just Tony keeping it in the family. Yeah. yeah. And just a few months after this summer of TV on WNDS, uh, Tony passed away in November. 13th 1999 mm-hmm. and what do you remember you you got a phone call i was I yeah assume. i was um um where 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 i live right now my my wife's whole family kind of lives on the street like not kind of they actually do and my brother and sister law live next door and we were at a uh, party and my phone and my phone rang and um it was jeff katz um so i stepped outside and i listen to the message and he goes, Hey, it's Jeff Katz. Can you give me a call real quick? It's very important. And I just walked next door over to my house and I was sitting on the front porch and I'm like, what's up? And he's like, I just want to let you know, Tony had a heart attack. And I'm like, Oh my God, is he okay? And he goes, no, Rich, he, he died. And not ashamed to say it. I cried like a little bitch. I seriously sat on my front porch and I cried for like a good half hour. And then my wife came over. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, Tony died. She goes, what do you mean Tony died? And I was just like, you know, and I just told her what I knew. And I was just devastated because here's the guy that gave me a chance. Didn't know me from, from Adam. He didn't know who the hell I was. Gave me an opportunity and treated me like one of the boys and got me more opportunities to do more things. I would not be doing what I'm doing today. And, um, I, actually said it publicly in what was left of NWA New England after the fact, a little Hall of Fame ceremony, and um, they, they gave me a plaque, which was very nice, and I said, I said, when Tony died, a little part of me died, because I thought that was it. I mean, you know, and I'm not here to glorify Chaotic or anything, but if Chaotic hadn't started and I found a home there for 16 years, I don't know what I would have done, because I didn't want to be in wrestling. It was just like, I didn't want to go work for 
just another random promotion just to be a ring announcer because it wasn't the same. It wasn't the Paladino, come here and hand me a piece of paper and be like, here, write, write this up three times and put them on the wall and make sure the referees have one. It, it, I didn't want to just go be another ring announcer. It was just, I was just devastated. And uh, there's not a day where I don't think about him. And that's, 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 that's the God honest truth. And it's kind of true after he passed that you're talking about just the, these, there, it wasn't the same. No. The NWA New England tried to go on. Remember that first show we did in North Adams? Yeah. Which was, might as well have been the other side of the world. It was the longest ride ever. And it, it just wasn't the same. And that is not a knock on anybody that may have been in charge at the time. It was just not the same product. And it didn't have that same feel. And when Knuckles came to the ring, it wasn't accompanied to the ring by the Boston bad boy, Tony Rumble, representing the Brotherhood. It might have been representing the Brotherhood. But Tony wasn't there, and Tony wasn't stiffing people with his baseball helmet in the back of the head, and <laughs> it just it just wasn't the same promotion. And, and, and uh, people slowly started to break away, and yeah, like Sheldon went and did his thing. Knuckles uh, went and did his thing. We Dan Marotti ended up doing his own thing. Yeah. So yeah, I it mean, was, it was it was awful. It was just. You know, it's not the same, you know, but I mean, the entire landscape of the business has changed since then. I've said it before publicly, everybody, including Chaotic, everybody all of a sudden became a wrestling promoter after Tony passed away and not too many are still standing. You know, there was, there was Kowalski, there was Tony Rumble and there was always Top Rope who was Yankee Pro. I think back in the day, they might've been Northeast wrestling, a different incarnation, obviously, but yeah, there was a different thing. You know, Tony and Walter were in the Boston area. You know, what was Yankee was down, you know, southeastern Massachusetts. But after Tony, that was it. I I just thought that was it. I had a good run. I got a free tuxedo. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, Tony, I think, when I think about Tony, I just think about, I've said this before, just the way he held this locker room together with all these different personalities, all these different, you know, people of all shapes and sizes, people who he gave opportunities to that perhaps maybe weren't the best wrestlers, maybe weren't the greatest in the ring, but he gave opportunities to a ton of people and all those people hung by him. When he was gone, they just, no one else could hold that ragtag group together no, you know what i mean no and 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 kind of like we were talking about earlier with tony running his ship the way he wanted to run it i'll never forget one time at good times and i think it was when we were on tv he was like i don't want to hear any shit from anybody about putting somebody else over because watch what i'm about to go do <laughs> and he put over trooper gilmore for the nwa new, new england, england championship, championship. Yes. and trooper jimmy allen i know you're out there buddy um you know i'll just never forget that and that was his way of saying you know what I don't want to hear it because I own this company. I run this company. Look what I'm going to go do, you know, and um, and that was it. And he loved Jimmy. You know, Jimmy wrestled Abdullah the Butcher and had no problem bleeding for him. You know, that made him. He was OK with Tony. That's what it was all about. If Tony liked you, there was no black and white. You either know Tony liked you or you knew Tony didn't like you. There was no middle of the road, you know? And uh, other than shit in my pants, the time he screamed at me because I was uh, an, <laughs> a, a, an accomplice to, to, to a, a crime, you know? I mean, that, that was the big wake-up call. Or you, li- you never left a show early again, did you? No. no. So, 
So no, for any promotion, no, never. <laughs> yeah, I'm just glad you. I'm glad Brian at least was there to see it. I didn't even know. I didn't know you back then. So it's like, you know, it's oh, just, I was I was in high school. I was a high school kid. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. Tony was only 43 when he passed away. Yeah. It's crazy. What do you think the legacy is of Tony Rumble? I think he kind of helped put wrestle, independent wrestling on the map. Um, that's no knock on anybody else that had run wrestling during, before, or after Tony. I think he was just, he was the man. He gave the fans something different. He, he you know, uh, Kowalski's shows were great, but the show you would see in Tewksbury, Massachusetts was the same show you might see in, I don't know, Rochester, New York, you know, six months later. It was Kowalski students with a couple of names and you knew what you were getting. Tony was bringing in guys from other places and guys like, you know, Hugh Morris and Ace Darling and Devin Storm and the Inferno Kid. I mean, I can go on and on, but he was bringing in all these people that, that all these other workers that nobody had ever seen before and giving them a little bit of something, some, a little bit something different with some of those big TV names and just ran things his way and got TV deals and just dominated it was just it was it was amazing and i still i think i said at the outset what would 60 year old tony rumble be booking right now really makes me wonder and i'm sure it would be great because i don't think he ever would have lost steam you know when he passed away at 43 i'm 47 and it was always in my head that my mentor died when he was 43 and he was in far better shape than i am and i was always scared of 43 and that's that's the god honest truth and um it's just it's it's not fair it's not right but his legacy will live on forever. I mean, if it's not through me, it's from other people that worked for him and maybe teaching now or, you know, we were just so lucky to see, you know, always talk about the learning tree and whatnot. You know, yeah. I sat under Tony Rumble's learning tree and uh, it made me a better announcer. It made me a better personality, you know? I mean, he was just something else and, uh, you know, just kind of sucks that he's gone. Yeah. But, you know, I know this is uh, 17 years, which is unbelievable. So somebody needs to put something together, pay tribute to him, you know? Yeah. Um, but um, I know some people have tried. It just has never panned out. So hopefully enough people listen to this. You know, there's probably people listening here never heard of Tony Rumble, you know? So now you know. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully we did him some justice here today. I hope so. Thanks very much, Rich. This has been great to uh, sit down and talk about Tony today. Um, you are it was great to talk about like our childhood guys. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> your childhood, <That's> my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> well, Crockett's fifty. I'm, am I younger than Crockett? Yes, yes you are. Crockett's celebrating his fiftieth birthday. Oh, Happy birthday, pal! Did you know? Did you know he stiffed me on going to the movies? We always go see the Marvel movies together, and he uh, he stiffed me on uh, going together. Again, I say First, wah wah wah. <laughs> All right. uh, I, just to, I just wanted to let you know that. But seriously, before I before you guys kick me out of here and get back to the rest of your show, and I know you got dates because you're touring the nation and <laughs> and all that. Um, thank you guys for having me. It is cool, and uh, keep up the good work because I know I've told you I've listened to as as many shows as I can, and uh, keep up the good work because it's a hell of a podcast, and hopefully more people uh, get on board and can start teaching them something about where today's wrestling came from. That's yeah. That's a big part that I think is missing, and you guys getting the word out there, so keep up the good work. Thanks very much, Rich. You can follow Rich at Rich Palladino on Twitter. And speaking of Twitter, please share your memories of Tony Rumble 
or to share your thoughts on the discussion we just had at the WPAN on Twitter or Facebook.com slash the WPAN. Brian, it is Merv Griffin time. It is named for your favorite episode of our favorite show, Seinfeld. This is our chance to sit down with the listeners and talk. We talk to you, and most importantly, you talk to us. It is voicemail time, Brian. Let's take a listen. Hello, Michael Crockett and Brian Malonis. This is former guest Brian Fury just calling about a couple things real quick. One, on something extra a couple weeks back, you were talking about your favorite attitude era angle, and I hate the attitude era, as it's well known. And I really didn't think there was many good angles other than Austin and McMahon, but for Malonis to say Deadly Game, which is honestly one of the worst pay-per-views ever, being the best, holy crap, that really blew my mind. Literally the last thing I expected you to say. Uh, Next on the agenda, uh, I loved your episode about the women's wrestling and the Divas Revolution or whatever they want to call it. Uh, I Obviously, I have been a uh, very, very long-time fan and proponent of women's wrestling, regardless of how much crap I took about it backstage from some people or others. Um, I couldn't be more happy or more proud of where women's wrestling is uh, in the world today. Uh, I, I'm humbled to say that I took a very small role uh, in that, uh, obviously, with you know, Roxy Bavo helping her and uh, Sasha Banks helping her and stuff and, and, and the things that they've done to really help women's wrestling get to where it is today. Um, so happy for, for them and, and for women in general. And lastly, yes, December the 2nd, Chaotic Wrestling, the final time for real in a Chaotic Wrestling ring, Brian Fury, Brian Malonis. Hope to see everybody out there. As always, I love the show. Listen to it every week. BDA Radio, good stuff. Take care. And thanks for nothing. <laughs> All right. Hey, Fury, getting your catchphrases in there. Yeah, he's. I, I mean, I, I want to address something here, though. Uh-oh. Like, I love Brian Fury, but he, he's a bitter guy. He's a bitter, jaded wrestling guy. Like, <laughs> I was looking at the deadly game. That's you train. saying that. Yes, that's me saying that. I, I'm looking through the at my favorite. We, like we talked about our favorite angles. I'm not looking at it from as 34 year old, you know, Brian Malonis. I'm looking at I don't know, 17, 16, 17 year old Brian Malonis, who my favorite wrestler just won the WWF Championship. That's why I loved it so much. It holds a special place in my heart. Jeez, get off my back about <laughs> it. Yes, and Brian Fury is well documented for hating the Attitude Era. Yes, he is. He is. Um... Thank you so much, Brian Fury, for checking in. And we want to hear from you guys. Get your voicemails in. We'll play them on the podcast. 401-584-9726. That is 401-584-WPAN. Or if you want to make it even easier, go to Facebook.com slash the WPAN on your phone. And after you click like there, click the call now button and be connected directly to the voicemail line. We want to hear from you. Get those voicemails in. And, of course, the other way to participate here on MGT is using our hashtag on Twitter, hashtag WPAN. 
All right, Brad Hollister checked in, Brian. Big Bacon. <laughs> big Bacon. He says, on this long drive, Big Bacon is catching up on the WPAN. Thanks very much to Brad Hollister. He is at B underscore Rad Hollister. David Raddy is back. The David Raddy question of the week, Brian. He is at Dave Ratman. He says, are there any buildings you have worked in through your indie careers that you enjoy more than others? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I enjoy the buildings that are uh, look a little different, feel a little different, have character. I like the ones that don't look like just your standard um, Elks Lodge, Moose Lodge, uh, you know, Knights VFW of Columbus Hall. Hall, VFW Hall. I like the ones that are unique. I mean, obviously the PAV in Lowell, um, which may or may not still be standing. <laughs> I don't really know. It was know. last time I went by. I went by like um, a few months ago. I mean, that will always hold a special, you know, a special place. Um, a building I've recently just started wrestling in, the PAL Hall uh, in, in Fall River. Um, so buildings like that. Those just, old buildings that have the balconies yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, they have a little character yeah. to them. They have a little, you know, like a little something to them. I, I mean, recently, um, you know, starting to work for Beyond, the, like the, the, the shows in the nightclubs. Mm-hmm. Um very cool like a different just a different sort of different feel yeah um you know i mean and and i mean the majority of the shows i've probably worked have probably been in the standard vfw halls and whatnot um uh, which are fine um but again i like the ones that you know again have a little more a little more pizzazz to them i mean and you know me and you have both worked the fleet center oh excuse me the uh the td <laughs> bank north garden so you know i mean it is what it is. That one's not that bad either. A couple of druids. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to throw one out there that you're going to despise. But uh, I like the first building I worked for at Chaotic Wrestling. The Knights of Columbus in Methuen. Oh, jeez. The Gaythorn Th- Hall. Thanks. I get why it might hold like a special place to you. But yeah. The building stinks. It looks like every other venue that indie wrestling runs. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I what did. was wrong with it? It was fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It just... I like the buildings that that look and feel a little different. Yeah, the the Littleton Opera House was actually um, there's a picture backstage of Gorgeous George wrestling in the Littleton Opera House. Yeah, pretty amazing so, stuff. <laughs> so to to be in that building, I know uh, you know WFA ran there for a number of years, and then Chaotic Wrestling ran there. It's it was kind of a special place, and it, it, like the balconies there, it's kind of right on top of the ring, so it's a really cool feel. So yeah, that that was definitely one of the uh, best buildings that uh, I was ever in. For and what state is that wrestling. in, Michael? That is in the lovely state of New Hampshire. Thank you. Uh, so thanks again, <laughs> David Ratty, for the question, and I hope to hear from you very soon with another question for us. They're always fantastic and really get us talking. So thank you, uh, Stephen. You didn't think we weren't going to hear from Stephen? Oh, Stephen's one of our most loyal listeners. He is at hhh guy two thousand four. And he lists his favorite women wrestlers because he talked about the uh, women last week. He says his favorite are five, Victoria, four, Alundra Blaze, three, Mickey James, two, Trish, and one, Lita. Brian, who's your favorite women's wrestler? Steven's kind of talking WWE here. So what do you think of maybe that era that wasn't so great? The era before yeah. we talked about the women's revolution. Trish Stratus. I mean, I yeah. thought Trish Stratus for, not, for a number of reasons was... Uh, is probably my favorite uh, WWE women's wrestler uh, of all time. Uh, I mean, she worked hard. She actually got to a point where she was was pretty good in the ring, and she was gorgeous. She was dynamite to look at. Yes, uh, TK, another good friend, another guy who's uh, been with us from the beginning. At T Hog ninety four, 
He says, uh, even better than being named executive producer <laughs> of the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing. You made a mention of that last week yes. with all of his contributions. He says, the, even better than that is Brian Malonis versus Brian Fury at Chaotic Wrestling. And he says, at Croc Sox needs to be the ref for the match. And I know Tony S. also, at referee Tony S. from the Check of the Boots podcast, he checked in and said that the door is open for me to uh, referee that match. But uh, I don't know that I'll be quite ready at that point to uh, participate. That's why I wanted to work with a good ref anyways. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, thank you very much for the sentiment, TK. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, you can see uh, meet and greet TK at Chaotic Wrestling on December 2nd. Brian. Yes, come see me. All right, so remember, use that hashtag WPAN and talk to us on Twitter. And thanks to everyone who was a part of Merv Griffin time. We look forward to talking to you on Twitter over the week and hearing your voicemails. And we will bring you the best of it next week on the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing. All right, Brian, it is time for this week's promo about nothing. But before we get into that, let's talk about our sponsor. People ask me, what do you mean, BDARadio.com? What does the BDA stand for? The biggest dog arrives? Brian, you get it? No. No, you, I don't, Mike. You don't? No, I'm confused. I thought you were a wrestling fan. I am a wrestling fan. Brian, today. come on. The biggest dog in the yard? Booger Red? Uh. The Undertaker? You weren't a fan of him in his uh, motorcycle days? Um, the decade I, of destruction. It, it was probably my least favorite incarnation of The Undertaker. But they called him the biggest dog in the yard. It's a long time ago, Mike. Come on. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure Brian Fury got it right away. The biggest dog returned to SmackDown this Tuesday. So BDA, the biggest dog arrives. That's what it means. All right. But what it really means is that BDA Radio gives you the most unique commentary on mixed martial arts and pro wrestling on the internet. They don't break news. They break the news with their wild commentary regarding MMA and wrestling. Head over to BDARadio.com right now and check out all the latest news on UFC, Bellator, WWE, and much more. Come rolling, 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 rolling to BDARadio.com. All right. <laughs> that I remember. <laughs> okay, it's promo but nothing time, Brian. And this one... We're going to see how far we can get through. All right? Oh, boy. You remember Tagar, right? Yes. I love Tagar. A legend in our eyes of Memphis wrestling. You have to go back and listen to the Tagar Lord of the Volcano promo in a uh, recent episode of Wrestling Podcast About Nothing. You team with Costanza, Lord of the Idiots at one point. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> so this was even further back than that. This was 1986 in Memphis. And Tony Falk was a guy over there. Hey, watch your mouth. Tony Falk, F-A-L-K, was a kind of a jack-of-all-trades for the company. And at this point, he was uh, designated to portray a character, Brian, we will find out why, known as Boy Tony. Okay. So let's Jeez. take a look. Jeez, I wonder. Let's take a look at this promo about nothing. Hello. 
few people will remember me as Tony Falk. But Tony Falk died one night at a rock concert in St. Petersburg, Florida. And boy, Tony was born. Now, you people remember Tony Falk didn't win very many wrestling matches. But boy, Tony wins nine out of every ten matches. Now, I want to take some time to explain this to you. Now, you be good. And I'm going to tell you how it all happened. See, it goes like this. One night, I said, I'm going to go to this concert to see Boy George. And while I was there, he noticed that I was out there, and he stopped everything and announced that we had a great wrestler in the audience. And I stood up, and everybody gave me a round of applause, and I sat back down. But after the show, Boy sent someone out to tell me to come backstage that he wanted to talk to me. And what Boy George wanted to tell me is he told me, Tony, you've got to quit trying to be like everybody else, copying their styles and their moves. And you just got to be yourself. And when you do, everything's going to happen for you. So from that day on, I just started being myself. I dressed the way I wanted to dress. I walked the way I wanted to walk. And I talked the way I wanted to talk. And I was successful. So I went back to Boy George. And I talked to him. And I said, you know, this has changed my life so much that I want from this day on to be known as Boy Tony. And Boy George and I became such good friends. He asked me what I helped him with his special projects. I went with him to help on the Farm Aid, the Live Aid concerts. I went to Hollywood with him, and I met a lot of his friends. And I thought that it was really nice that Boy George was helping those poor farmers and those people over in Africa. And I thought it would be wonderful if I could do something for the wrestling fans, to clean up these wrestling fans, because you know some of them are pretty nasty. They need soap, they need toothpaste, and I said that I'm going to raise money. We even, Boy even said he would help me with the concert to raise money for these wrestling fans. Now, my special project is going to be called Fan Aid. Now, I told Boy George it wasn't good enough just raising money and buying things and sending them over there to Africa because them Africans didn't know how to use them. But see, I'm going to take time and teach these people, these fans, how to use deodorant and how to use toothbrush and toothpaste and how to shampoo your hair properly. I'm going to show everybody how to use these things properly. Each week, I'm going to have my own Boy Tony hygiene tip of the week right here. So if you will follow me now into my powder room, I will show you the first tip of the week. Okay, Brian, I think... Are we, are we done with this? Think, now, now that enough. everybody's turned off the podcast, Mike. <laughs> that's... Uh, there's still two or three minutes left oh of that. Oh my uh, god! Of that promo about nothing, but we will. Uh, so we'll bad. It was so bad. But he was at the concert, Brian, and he was called on so stage. So he's gonna. He's not gonna stop. He's gonna not copy people, but he's just gonna copy Boy George. That was like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No, no, no. He. That's how he normally is. He's normally a exact clone of Boy George, <laughs> <laughs> except with a big bow tie. <laughs> Oh, just yeah, so, so much offensiveness in one. Well, they can't wrapped up in the one package. <laughs> like, yeah, that's um, 
that's the 80s for you. That's 1986. Oh, my God. Could you imagine they tried to do something like this today? I mean, I guess WWF kind of did it with uh, adorable Adrian Adonis, I guess, along the same lines. They were less less, um, less obvious. Which, I mean, they just came right out and said, yeah, hey, we're ripping off Boy George. We're even going to play uh, Karma <laughs> Chameleon. Which I love the song. It's a great yeah. song. I love I love Culture Club. Yeah. <laughs> You're my lover, not my rival. Not you, not you, Brian. But, you know. Um, Will you tumble for me, though? <laughs> <laughs> gladly, Brian. Gladly. Uh, that was, uh, yeah, the boy hot, Tony. That was hot garbage? <laughs> <laughs> we, maybe we should get into the, uh, you want to get into his, no, let's not get into No, his. I, we're done with this. This is way too long. I can't imagine anybody sat through this. In 1986, watching this crap, even on TV. Now, Tagar was so bad, it was good. Like, Tagar is like, like this is just so bad. I don't know. I don't want to go back and watch any of this. Like, <laughs> I was, I scoured for Tagar stuff just because it was so ridiculous. This is just stupid and offensive. <laughs> well, you're, you're, now you're trying to, you're not going to, I mean, people aren't going to want to go and check out the link and see the actual video of see what this well, yeah, guy looks go, like. Go, go and skip through it. You, it's worth like seeing what it is. Go and but you're you're. I'm telling you, there's not one individual. If you <laughs> if you can make it and somehow, I wish there was a way to prove that you can make it through the whole thing. We'll give you a shout out if you if you just tell us <laughs> you made it through the whole thing. We'll give you a shout out. I I, I don't know like. I challenge any human being alive to make it through the five minutes and forty seven seconds. Skip around, jump around like we did. You know, although we watched three minutes straight through there, but if you can make it through 547, you're a trooper. Yes, and yeah, it's worth it just to see how he is dressed as this very low-rent version of Boy George with a giant, uh, you know, a giant Bozo the Clown bow tie. And a southern accent. <laughs> so yeah, go check out the link, which is in the description of this episode if you want to see the video, or you can go to the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing page at bdaradio.com. It is time for your favorite segment brian the mutual admiration society as named by tk the executive producer Jeez, I wonder who's gonna be the first one mentioned check in the boots <laughs> at referee tony s at chip k ctb they took a week off last week they're coming back strong and go check out check in the boots wrestling podcast they are wherever you get your podcasts itunes stitcher google play music and booking the territory brian at BTT underscore podcasts. They do their top five every week. Last week, it was the top five baby faces of the 1980s. Who's your number one? <laughs> top five baby faces of the 1980s? Yes. Do I, I mean, you want to take a stab at it? Who my favorite is? The Hulkster. Of course it is, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he was the number one on some people's, on the podcast's uh, top five, though. <sighs> <laughs> but they're from the they're from the south, Brian. They you know that's that was northeast. It's not, it's not an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so make sure check everybody out. knows northern wrestling is far superior to southern wrestling. Oh boy, Mike Mills. Uh, well, WWF was a it was a global phenomenon and continues to be today. Uh, you know they're talking about regional wrestling. You know from back in the eighties. Oh, we'll be here. <laughs> Mike Mills right now. He's going to hear his head is exploding <laughs> as he's hearing this. All right, the Hurricane Rada podcasts. Facebook Live every Wednesday night. Check out the Hurricane Rana podcast, the Rundown Wrestling podcast, Adam Salzer and Jason Stewart. And let's talk about Scotty Slade. He made his debut on the NAI Network for the Inside Perspective. I want everyone to go and take a listen to Scotty Slade's debut that is on the uh, NAI Network feed. So make sure you go and check that out 
Okay, a man walks into an arm bar, Brian, Chad Alden, and Paul St. Ammon Jr. I called them this past week on Facebook the Armbar Boys. There's nothing there wrong with go. that, right? All right, no. They're the Armbar Boys. Yeah. All right, so make sure you check you, them you out. Neither one of them know how to apply an armbar, but. <laughs> check them out on BDARadio.com. Hey, they already, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got, I got one here for you. These guys know the difference between an arm bar and a candy bar. <laughs> <laughs> so find them wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Podbean. I enjoyed the genuine laugh at the end there. <laughs> Go to BDARadio.com and you can see all the episodes there. All right, Brian, we're moving on to your actual favorite part of the show <laughs> where you get to put yourself over and talk about all your stuff. You are hitting the highways and byways, crisscrossing this great nation of ours, plying your trade. As a professional wrestler and dates? Well, I mean, one of us has to, Mike, because one of us is uh, lazy staying at home on the weekends, and one of us is out there, you know, trying to get their name out and then consequently also trying to build up the podcast. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, one of us has got to do it, Mike. Uh, but after an extended hiatus of my own, right? <laughs> I'll be returning on Wednesday night, Thanksgiving Eve, the new Thanksgiving Eve tradition, UFO Wrestling Boston and South Boston. I'll be defending the UFO Heavyweight Championship against Teddy Goods. How about that, Mike? That's a good one. Find UFO Wrestling on Facebook and Twitter for all the information. From last I heard, tickets are uh, selling very well for this. Uh, so go ahead and get in early. After Thanksgiving, after a nice robust meal uh, right. on Thursday, I will be <laughs> I will be returning on Saturday night, November the 26th, Top Rope Promotions, Brockton, Massachusetts. Uh, they sell their tickets on brownpapertickets.com. You can also find Top Rope Promotions on Facebook and Twitter. Get your tickets for that. That'll be a great event. And as mentioned several times, I make my return to chaotic wrestling after some lo- nine long months mm-hmm. uh, for a special kind of one-time only thing, wrestling the firebrand, Brian Fury, the final, final time, for real this time. We're not <laughs> kidding, people. We're not Twice joking. in a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Somebody on Twitter compared it to, yes. to that, but... Uh, you know, here we are one more time. Hudson Elks, CataclysmWrestling.com. Follow uh, Catholic Wrestling on Twitter, Facebook. I heard it's the birthplace of stars, Michael. That's what I heard. And then uh, can't reveal if I'll be there or not yet. But Beyond Wrestling returns to iPay-Per-View on Sunday, December 11th. Uh, oh, it's a double header with Evolve. Separate emissions, um, but it is an iPay-Per-View. Beyond is that Wrestling. Melrose. Mel- yeah, Melrose Memorial Hall. Beyond Wrestling looking to make that their biggest show of all time. So be sure to uh, get out there, support Beyond Wrestling. Uh, you can get tickets online with them. So BeyondWrestlingOnline.com. Yes. So get your tickets for that because it'll be a cool event. Hey, maybe get your mug on iPay-Per-View. Sounds good to me. And if you want to book the Kingpin, Brian Malonis at Comcast.net. And he is on Twitter at Brian Malonis. Slide into those DMs. All right. <laughs> and you want to mention we are running that contest through the end of this month for a free Kingpin combo pack that is a color 8x10 of the Kingpin and an I'm a Pinhead Brian Malonis t-shirt. All you have to do is go to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review. Get over to iTunes. The easiest way to do it is to search in the podcast app, bottom right, put in the wrestling podcast about nothing, then find the show, click the reviews tab, leave your review, you'll be in the, the hat, and we'll pick out one at random, and that person will win that combo pack. So please leave your review on iTunes. 
And for more on the wrestling podcast about nothing overall, everything that's going on with us, head over to your home for MMA and wrestling talk. That's BDARadio.com. We'll be back on Thursday with something extra. That's bonus audio from the wrestling podcast about nothing coming right to your podcast feed. And of course, on that podcast feed next Monday, we will have episode 31 of the WPAN. Until then, he is the Kingpin Brian Malonis. My name is Mike Crockett, and thanks for nothing.